Amen. Well, it's good to see you guys. Uh, until it's Labor Day, a lot of people out, and it's all good. Good to have you guys here. Good to have you guys online. Look across the way. Wave at someone. Say hello. Uh, yeah, look around. Are you guys online? Hello? Say hi. Please let us know if you're online joining us. I know you don't want to, but please do. We want to know who's here, who's joining us for worship in person and online. Uh, so we are so excited about today. Uh, even excited, again, as Ian talked about, in 11 a.m. service, uh, we're going to be baptizing Claire LeBlanc. Uh, and so I encourage you to come. We'll be at the very beginning of the service. So if you're going to connecting group right after this, hang out for a few minutes. If you're going to go home or you guys online, tune in at uh, the 1115 service. You'll see at the very beginning. But that's going to be a very neat and exciting thing we get to see as her dad gets to baptize her. So uh, with that being said, we're going to continue in our Ecclesiastes series. So if you want to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, uh, as you're there, I'm glad to see kids in our worship service. If they make noise, that's their job, okay? Uh, parents, you're not to make noise and you keep quiet. That's, not, that's for kids only. That makes me know they're still alive and that they're here. So if you hear the pitter-patter of little feet, that means children are here worshiping. That's what we want to hear. Eric Cardillo, that doesn't include you. You don't get to run across this church and do whatever you want, okay? You have to stay in your seat, so. I'm waiting for one day someone just to go chill in the baptismal like all service long. Like, I don't know if you know, I think it's like a jacuzzi right there. It is super nice. Um, it is super comfortable. Not that I've sat in it any time here during the week. But um, anyways, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, where we're going to be, as we're turning there, I, I want to uh, introduce this question just to discuss with one another uh, and process. Here it is. If you could go back to a good period of your life and live it again, when would it be and why? You'd say, you know what, that was, man, those were the good days, the good old days, if you will. So go ahead, take a second. When, when were the good old days in your life? When would you, when would it be and, and why would you say that? So go ahead, take a second, answer that. <clears throat> Some of you guys relish that question. Uh, I know you like just enjoy it. Every time you get around someone, that's what happens. I know my grandfather, it seems like every time I get with him, it, I don't even ask the question. He's like, man, in the good old days. And he goes back to, you know, Cotton Farmer West Texas. I'm like, that sounds miserable right there. Like, that does not sound like good old days. You didn't have YouTube. You didn't have all the fun stuff I had, you know, video games, all the above. I, I don't know about you guys. For me, I've, I think I've shared before, but for me, like, high school was a good time for me. I mean, I had an awesome youth group I enjoyed being with. Uh, I was dating the hottie up here that was dancing earlier. You know, we were dating in high school. Man, that was a great time. I was working at Fazoli's. I mean, eating all the breadsticks I could possibly want. Talk about living the high life. And you think I didn't, man. I, I, I worked hard to work the drive through so I could eat breadsticks the whole time I'm working. And I would put those bad boys away. Thank goodness for basketball because I would be a much larger man than I am now. Um, you know, I mean, playing basketball, I mean, doing that every single day. Like, it, it was just, that was a good time in my life. You know? And I, I just remember the sweet memories. Some people don't have great memories of high school, but for me, it was like, that was just a real good time for me. Or, or maybe college. Uh, for some reason, like, the end of my freshman year, the beginning of my sophomore year, specifically for me, was just a, a real fun time for me, man. I had a lot of fun with friends, did a lot of just weird stuff. I mean, we remember we went swimming in the fountain. I'm like, what? never in my life have I had a desire to go swimming in OBU's fountain again. Like, that was just a weird thing. Or, you know, like, hey, let's stay up all night. I mean, I remember 
me and my roommate making a pact that says, all right, we're, we're going to commit to never go to bed before 2 a.m. And we did that for an entire semester um, and for no reason whatsoever. And that has haunted me to this day. I still can't go to bed before midnight. And I'm contributed to that thing right there. I, I don't know if you have a time. You're like, man, that really doesn't sound good. It, it was to me. Um, but I don't know if you can think of a time when you would say, man, that was, a, that was a good time in my life. And the reason I ask that is because when I was thinking through this piece of material we're going to look at, the question I kind of came up is, why not today? Like when we talk about good times, why not right now? Like, like why has good for us become circumstantial on what is going on in our life? Isn't it funny that way? But like for us, like good time is never seems to be right in this moment. Like even when in high school, I've told you guys before, in high school, when I was living in that moment, I didn't appreciate and enjoy it. Like it was not a good time in college. I'm like, I can't wait till I get out of college and start having a career. And boy, was I wrong. You know, like that, no, let's go back to that. Like I, right now never seems to be a good time. And it's always circumstantial. We're always contributing to things have to be going right. And I raise this question that Solomon, I think, is going to answer is this, is how do I get the most out of this life? Like, like the life I have, how do I make the most of each day? How do I get the most out of the life that God has given me? And, and the theme I think you're going to see, and it's nothing original, you've probably seen it in movie quotes, is this, is, is the big idea is carpe diem, or seize the day. How do we do that? How do we get the most of life? We have to seize the day. That word carpe diem is a Latin term that means just that, seize the day or, or grasp the opportunity. And when you read Solomon's words right here when he talks about it, that's the thing he gets to. It's like, listen, you, you're not guaranteed anything. The best thing you can do is, is seize the opportunity you do have. And it's a very important thing to us because I think a lot of us are driven by if things around me are not going good, then life is not good. And Solomon says something else to the different veins. He says, no, it's really not about that. So let's, let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And we're going to read ultimately verses 1 through 12, but we're going to break it down in sections. And after we unpack it, we'll go through after that and kind of talk about application. Like, how do we actually do this? How do we live this out? Because I want you to walk away with something. So we're going to start with verses 1 through 3. Let's read what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. He said, this too I carefully explored. He said, even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hands, no one knows whether God will show them favor. You see, the same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. You see, good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are treated like, they, like people who don't. Hey, it seems so tragic that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. That's why people are not more careful to be good. Instead, they choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There's, there's nothing ahead but death anyways. This first little part, he kind of, Solomon points out that death in life is kind of the great equalizer. It's kind of that thing that ultimately everyone's going to face. And he, he struggled with this idea, like, I don't understand, like, why, there's no rhyme or reason to who God shows favor to and who God doesn't. You can live your life ultimately as best as you can and not get the outcome you desire. And even more so, he kind of talks about, it's like, our, our death isn't connected to our standing with God. Just because you're faithful to God and do all this sort of stuff doesn't mean you're going to live a long and prosperous life. You, you might die tomorrow just as much today. As a matter of fact, the preacher's commentary kind of unpacked this. He said this. It says, input does not determine outcomes. Life is not a predictable computer. You see, chance often has as much influence on our well-being as human behavior. There, there's nothing that you can say, well, if I come and do this, this, and this, and, and follow God's word to a T, then, then I can guarantee I, I'm going to live a long, 
and happy life. And we're just not guaranteed that. As a matter of fact, we're just not guaranteed tomorrow. We don't have control of our fate. That's ultimately what he says in verse 3. We don't have control of it. And this idea that me coming to church and being a Christian doesn't really affect ultimately my whether or not when I'm going to die and stuff leads people to a place to where they just kind of neglect God altogether. He says that in verse 3. He's like, you know, these people, it seems tragic for what's going on. He said they, they're not more careful to the good. Instead, they choose their own mad course. Why? For they have no hope. There's nothing ahead but death anyways. Like, why should I live faithfully to God if I'm not going to be guaranteed tomorrow? I've actually sat in a church. I've had been in two different church services where during the service, people have had heart attacks during the service. Now, by the grace of God, they were able to get CPR. They saved them, all that sort of stuff. But, I mean, I've seen situations, I've heard of situations where we're, we're just not guaranteed tomorrow. And we struggle with this, don't we? Like, we struggle with death, and we struggle as Christians thinking, if I'm faithful to God, I should be blessed and get more. And the world struggles with it. I don't know how many of you own an iPhone. I know we're not going to get into Android, uh, I mean, Mac, you know, split right here going on. But I don't know if you know this, like Steve Jobs specifically struggled with this to the point that on iPhones, he did not want to have an on and off switch. He struggled with this idea that life could just be turned off. And so he created devices where you were incapable of pushing a button and just turning it off. Now, ultimately, every phone has to have a way to turn it off, and they had to find a way. But he refused to put it as just something simple and right there. He came out. I said, like, I struggle with this notion. And the reality is, for death, for all of us, it's a great equalizer. Like, everyone's going to face it. And the truth of the way he's saying is, all we have is right now. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. I'm not trying to sound bad. I've actually heard of services where pastors baptized people and, and, and literally got electrocuted in the baptism in horrible situations. You, you are not guaranteed anything. You're not guaranteed you're going to leave this room and anything's going to happen. And he's like, like, death is this kind of great equalizer. Now, things just got really dim and dark, so let's keep reading and see what else he says. Look at verse 4 through 6. He says, there is hope, then, only for the living. As they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. The living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. See, they have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, is all gone. They no longer play a part in anything here on earth. See, verse 4 through 6, he talks about only the living still have an opportunity or potential. That's what he's talking about. Like, you know, if you're alive, you, you still at least have potential. As a matter of fact, in verse 4, he uses one of his better than statements that he uses all throughout to try to hit home a point. He says, better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Now, back in this culture and time, uh, Fluffy was not a pet, an animal you had at home, like you cared for and stuff. They, they were like pests is what they were. And so he says, it's better, it's better to at least be alive and to be in the lowest form of the, of the totem chain than to be a mighty lion and dead. He, he's saying it's better to be alive and have potential than to be dead and have stature. And sometimes we attribute so much like, man, I wish I had this. I wish I, wish I was better. And he's like, listen, if you're still alive and you're breathing, you still have an opportunity. As a matter of fact, verse 5 through 6, he kind of unpacks about how death removes all potential. Look what he says. It says, living uh, at least know they will die, but the dead don't know this. That they have no further reward. Death ultimately removes our potential, removes our stature, any ability we have. What do... Um, Alexander the Great and, and Benjamin Franklin and, and uh, 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 just Billy Graham and my great-grandmother all have in common. 
They're all dead in their potential. They can no longer contribute anything else to this earth. What they've done is done. And now that they're dead, listen, their opportunity is over. Now, they did great things in their life, and there's something about being able to stand at a funeral and say, listen, this person lived a great life, but if you were alive, he's saying, listen, you still have potential. Now, the question I get is, why does Solomon get so morbid here? Like, why is he getting so dark? What, what is his point? His point is, if you're looking at your life and looking like everything's wrong with my life, you can easily say, man, look how bad things are. You can look at how all the things you don't have going for you. And Solomon's like, no, you do have something going. If you are living, you are breathing, you're sitting here, you still have an opportunity. You might look at myself and say, man, I'm nothing but a pitiful dog. But you know what? You still have potential. You still have an opportunity. The question he's going to come to is, what are you going to do with that? I don't care where you come from. You might consider yourself to be completely worthless. But if you are here breathing and active, you still have potential. And so he trans- transfers in verse 7 through 9 about what he recommends to do. And I love, he, he talks about taking invo- advantage of life and enjoying the life you still have. Look what he says. He says, so go ahead, eat your food with joy. Drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a spash, uh, wear fine clothes with a spash of cologne. I never thought scripture would tell me to go eat and drink and be happy, but that's exactly what he said. Like, eat your food, drink your wine. Now, we're Baptists, we don't do that. No, I'm just kidding. He's like, you know, he's like, drink your wine, put on some cologne, do all this sort of stuff. He says, live happily with the woman you love through all these, I love how, these meaningless days. Live happily with the woman you love, because your life's meaningless anyways, uh, that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Honey, like wives, underline that, okay, and remind your husband, like, I am your reward. Scripture tells me that right here. You know, you're welcome. He's like, you know, for all your earthly, earthly toil. He says, ultimately, he's like, take advantage and enjoy the life that you still have. How often do we neglect that and we, we just say, you know what, man, I don't, what I don't have? He's like, no, look at what you do have and enjoy it. I mean, verse 7, he's always saying, like, enjoy your steak or, or your Raymond noodles. It doesn't matter. Enjoy it, right? Enjoy your wine or your Dr. Thunder because the dead can't. I don't know what you enjoy to drink there. In verse 8, he's like, rock your Gucci clothes or your thrift store finds. It doesn't matter. Enjoy what you have and find meaning in it. Enjoy your Creed Aventus cologne. I don't know what that is, but I googled most expensive cologne, and that's what came up. Or maybe for others of you, it's your Axe body spray. Maybe that's what it is. If you don't know Axe body spray is, you've never been around middle school boys, okay? Like, they believe that covers up all sense. It's, no, it's like, now you stink of feet and Axe body spray. Every year at Falls Creek, it seems to happen. As a matter of fact, Ian can attest this. Last time we were at Falls Creek, boys set off an Axe bomb. I don't know what that is. Apparently, you duct tape the thing, throw it up, and Axe just begins spraying all over the room. Listen, there is not a more detestable smell than Axe body spray. He's like, if that's what you're going to rock, rock it. Enjoy it. Enjoy what you have. In verse 9, I love, enjoy your trophy wife. Yes, I said it. Your trophy wife. This is God's reward to you. This is God, like, guys, you should be looking at your wife right now. Like, you are, like, a trophy wife right here. I tell my wife all the time, like, my dream is to be a stay-at-home husband. And she goes, you mean a stay-at-home father? No, I don't want to be a dad at home. I want to be a stay-at-home husband, like a trophy husband. And when I told her this, she said, what, what kind of trophy do you think you are? I said, honey, I'm a millennial. We're all about 12th place ribbons, okay? Like, I didn't say you were getting a first place prize right here. It might be a participation award. But nonetheless, you got it right here. Like, it doesn't matter what you think you have at home. He's like, enjoy it. Like, find joy in what you have. Uh, appreciate it. Because you still have potential, and you're still getting to enjoy, even if it's this stuff that most people detest. If you're alive, you're breathing it here, you can still enjoy it. 
And so he says, enjoy what you have. But yet, verse 10 through 12, he continues on. Look what he says. He says, whatever you do. And, and I'll say this, verse 10 through 12, I think really is a summarization of what he's trying to get here. It's the key verses. He says, whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. He said, I've observed something else in the sun. See, the fastest runner doesn't always win the race. And the strongest warrior, they, they don't always win the battle. See, the wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. Isn't that so true? It's all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. See, people can never predict when hard times will come, like fish in a net or birds in a trap, but people are caught by sudden tragedy. It's verse 10 to 12. He's like, make the most of your opportunity. Like verse 10, he's like, whatever you do, do it well. Do it well. Whatever you do, do it well. Why is he saying that? Why? Because when it's up, it's up. When the opportunity's passed, like you don't have it again. So whatever you do, man, live it to the fullest and say, man, how can I make the most of this opportunity? It might not be the opportunity I thought or I wanted, but it's an opportunity presented to me. What am I going to do with this? Because ultimately, as verse 11 talks about, you, you have no control of the outcome. Isn't it so true that it seems like no matter how hard you work, it doesn't always mean the results you get? It's like, man, I can do all this stuff right, and yet somehow they live a better life than me. I have a group of guys that are really close friends, and they are doing very financially well, and I'm, I'm telling you, I love them to death, but I don't feel like they're a whole lot brighter than me. And talking to them, I know they don't work harder than me. I know that for a fact, because they tell me. And I'm there, you know, playing ping pong at work and doing stuff, and I'm like, man, when I was a youth pastor, maybe as a pastor, not anymore. I don't. And I'm just sitting here like, I'm sitting here seeing this stuff and going, man, and when I talk to them, you can tell it's just a matter of chance. They'll even tell you that. They're like, you know, I'll be honest, like, the difference between you is just, I, I, lucky, lucky breaks came my way. That, that's all it is. Sometimes at your work, you can see that with people who have more, more stuff, and it's not necessarily the brightest or the best. It's just they know somebody, or they just so happen somebody quit at the right time, or they landed on this house. Just at the, I mean, whatever it is, you can't control the outcome. He's like, ultimately, God is sovereign, and God's control the outcome, and yet we spend so much time controlling the outcome when God's really the one in control of it. And we try to play God rather than let God be God. And it's like, listen, just, just take advantage of your opportunity because it's verse 12 he talks about you can't control when your time's up. You don't know when this might be your last. And so every breath you have, every opportunity you have, make it an opportunity. Do, do something with it. Seize the day. Carpe diem. Grasp your opportunity. Now, now if that phrase rings a bell, then you're familiar with an old movie called The Dead Poet Society. And there's a singing that I think I'm going to show you where he talks about this, where I think he summarizes perfectly, honestly, what Solomon's saying here. So go ahead and show that clip. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. The Latin term for that sentiment is carpe diem. Now, who knows what that means? Carpe diem. That seized the day. Very good, Mr. Meeks. Meeks. Another unusual name. Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Why does the writer use these lines? Because he's in a hurry. No! Ding! Thanks for playing anyway. Because we are food for worms, lads. Because believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing, turn cold, and die. I'd like you to step forward over here. Peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times. I don't think you've really looked at them. 
They're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it? powerful scene in the movie, and as one, I remember when I watched this reflect on my own life, I mean, how often do we say, tomorrow, I'll do this, tomorrow, 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 and, and, you, and you can picture yourself in that moment. If you're older now, and you can see, like, man, I remember, like, like what did I think in that moment? Like, you, you have an opportunity. You're not guaranteed. We're not. So what do we do? We have to make the most of what we have right now. I love this line. He says, make your lives extraordinary. Like, do something with your life. It doesn't mean that we're going to have great outcomes, but it means being intentional with what we have. How do we seize the day? Can I just get real practical with you? Like, how can we take this and put meat and flesh on the bone and do something with it? Well, what does seizing the day look like? Hey, first and foremost, listen, it's about effort. It's about being intentional. When, when you see verses 4 through 6, that's what he's all talking about. Listen, just be intentional with the life you have. Being intentional is maximizing your opportunity. It's saying, listen, I'm going to take advantage of this. When I was a student pastor, I talked to adults all the time. Like, listen, I need you to invest in kids. Like, I don't have time for that. I'm like, I'm not asking you to give a lot more time. I'm asking you that when you're here, be intentional with every second you have. Don't waste a moment. Like, when you see kids here, don't walk around just like, well, I'll talk to them. Do it right now. Make the most with your own kids in your life. The same sort of thing. Listen, I'll do it tomorrow. No, you have now. Be intentional with the moment you have. Take advantage of it. And so it's all about your effort. He talks about your effort being intentional. There's a, a new, not a new, but a, a play that's now on Disney Plus called Alexander Hamilton. I don't know if you've seen it. And they have a scene from this where he talks about my shot. I love, he says this. He says, I'm, I'm imagining death so much it feels more like a memory. When it's going to get me in my sleep seven feet ahead of me, if I see it coming, do I run or do I let it be? Is it like a beat without a melody? See, I never thought I'd live past 20. See, where I come from, some get, get half as many. Ask anybody why we live in fast, why we laugh, reach for a flask. We have to make this moment last. That's plenty. And he goes to say, I'm not going to throw away my shot. And over and over, this whole thing, I'm not, and this is my shot. I'm not going to throw away my shot. Like, you have an opportunity in this life. What are you doing with it? I, I get one shot, and when that moment's gone, it's gone. And listen, let's, let's move away from the whole morbid death, but just even life in general. Put, put a picture up real quick. 
I think I have it. This is a little over, just coming up on a year ago. We were, I'm not trying to show off my family, like, look at me, how awesome we are. Like, right there, I'm sweating like crazy. I've just walked 12 miles. I'm miserable. I don't know if you know if there's anything worse than trying to get kids smiling after you've been running, trying to get through the gates and get everybody out of the way. Like, you were trying to do all this sort of stuff. Now, I show you this picture is why, because this was a big deal. We planned for a year, thought through it all, and, and it's done. I can't change anything that's happened now in that moment. Do you understand that? Like what has happened at Disney World for us, the memories, every opportunity I have is gone. I'm still alive, but what has took place there, I can't change. The opportunities that you've had in life now has moved on, you, you, you can't go back and change those things. And so what we can do is we make the most, we put forth effort, we be intentional with every opportunity we have because Disney World will come and pass. And they're going to look back and say, man, I know we maximize every opportunity, every square inch of what took place there. And so be intentional. The other thing he talks about in verse 7 through 10 is not just your effort, but it's your attitude. He's talking about this. Have fun doing it. Like you have control. Of, you have control of your effort, but you also have control of your attitude. Have fun doing it. Why is it that Christians are some of the most depressing people in the world? Like when I accepted Christ, I suddenly got to check in depression and misery and like, oh, Jesus is good. You know, like we act like it's the worst thing in life. Listen, following Christ should be the best thing in the world. Like, fun and joy, listen, from a Christian theology, isn't circumstantial. When you look in Scripture, he talks about having fun and having joy. It's never revolved around the circumstances around you. It's by you making and defining what it is. But too often for us, we spend time chasing joy rather than trying to define it. We spend all our life like, man, if I just came over here, my life would be, if it was just over here, no, stay where you are. Like, listen, I'm going to define joy in my life, and this is what going to look like. There's nothing that's going to change that for me. Well, look at our lives. We spend so much spending money on experiences, trying to find joy and spend all this sort of stuff. Even in church, what happens? We have church hoppers that constantly, churches very rarely grow. You just people take from one setting to another saying, why? Because we get upset and miserable about the situation rather than saying, you know what? God has placed me here for a reason and a purpose. And we get up and pack our stuff and maybe I'll be happier here. Maybe I'll be happier here. Maybe I'll be happier here. Like, listen, you define joy in your life. This is about your effort, being intentional. It's about your attitude, having fun. But last, and this is the most important that you're going to miss, it's about your faith. It's about not stressing about the outcomes because you don't have control over it. Don't stress about the outcomes. Don't, don't stress about what is going to happen if I do that. Like, that's, that's not your purpose. Listen, if God is sovereign and he's responsible for the outcome, then why do we not let him be? If God's control, what's going to happen? If I go and witness to someone, it's so easy for me to say, listen, they need to come to Christ. I have no control over that. God has control. They have control. Listen, my job is just to have my attitude and effort and let God do the rest. And whatever happens, I can live with the outcome. As a pastor, my job is as much as I want. I can't control you guys. I can want to grow this church. I can do everything I can. But in the day, all I can control is my effort and my attitude, and God controls the outcome. But yet we focus all our attention on trying to control the outcome, and we wonder why we're miserable. You're not responsible for that. You're responsible for your attitude. You're responsible for your effort. And so I go back, the big idea is, it, is carpe diem. Seize the day. How do I make the most of this life? You seize the day. One of my favorite texts in, in, in Scripture is Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30. It talks about the, the man with the talents, and he, he gives all these people these talents. And you see these people take these talents, these gifts, and they go, and some go and maximize it. They go and do more, and some double their things. And finally, the last person's like, you know what? I didn't really want to make you upset, and so I just kind of stashed it away, and here it's back. And he scolds him, like, how dare you? Like, you didn't even tell, you didn't put forth any effort at all. You didn't try at all. What I love about that parable is it's not about the outcome. 
The tenant who comes back, it's not about, man, you, you've doubled your profits. It's about, listen, your attitude and your effort. And he is like, I don't care about your outcome. It's about your effort and your attitude. And the rest we put God and say, man, I trust you. God never in Scripture applauds the outcome for us. He applauds our effort, our attitude. He applauds our faithfulness. I've never seen a Scripture where God says, Joshua, I expect you to, the outcome to end up like this. He just says, listen, just do what I say. You have one life to live, so are you going to live it? What are you going to do with it? This is an important theme. As a matter of fact, my next three-week series, we're going to tailor off. We're going to come back to Ecclesiastes, but we're going to come back to church as a vision. Like, what does it look like for us and our vision? Because we've lost it. I'll be honest, I lost it. And how do we as a church seize the opportunity in front of us? And we're going to talk about how do we practically live out, develop, reach, multiply what we believe God has called us to. But for you as an individual, I'm calling you. Like, what does it look like in your life to seize the opportunity? And so here's what I'm going to ask, where you're at. I just unpacked a lot of information on you. And so I'm going to ask if you just sit quietly where you're at and just reflect for a second. Just allow the Lord to speak to you in whatever way he will and just say, God, what, what do you want me to do with this information? Maybe you need to get honest with God, like, what, what has my effort been like? What has my attitude been like? What, what has my faith been like? And so wherever you're at, your head bowed, your eyes closed, I'm going to ask you just take a second and just reflect. As your head bows, your eyes closed, I'm just going gonna, gonna to ask for some responses just from right where you're saying no one's looking around. I'm not looking to embarrass you. I'm not looking to make you uncomfortable. I'm looking just to allow you to respond in some way, shape, or form. So I have some questions for you just where you're at. Like for you out there right now, I'm going to ask you, how many of you would be honest with yourself and say that maybe within the past few weeks or months, you, you've not seized the day, whether it's by your effort, your attitude, or faith? If that's you, would you... Be willing to discreetly raise your hand as a sign of just honesty and transparency. Like, Lord, you know, I'll be honest. Like, I, I have not seen my If that's you, would you just be honest? No one's looking around. I just want to know and be praying for you guys. I've struggled too. Thank you so much for your honesty. Let me ask you this. How many of you would say that today maybe you need to seize the opportunity to make a decision, to start living for the Lord? Maybe it might be confessing areas of your life that you've not given over to the Lord. If that's you, would you be willing just to raise your hand as a, as a testament today uh, that you're going to give those areas to the Lord and start living for him? If that's you, like, you know what, I know I need to start doing that today. Would you just quietly, discreetly, so I can be praying for you? No one else is looking around. Thank you. My last one, and we'll, we'll wrap up in prayer. How many of you would be willing to seize the opportunity right now in front of you by putting your faith in Jesus Christ? Maybe for some of you, it's the first time ever. You've never done that. Or, or maybe some of you are like the prodigal son. You've walked away from the father, and you're like, man, I want to come back. I, I, I've let something get away from me that I never meant to get away from. And if that's something that you want, you want to rededicate, or you want to come to faith in Jesus Christ, like, I'm not going to call you out. I'm just, as a sign of faithfulness, just that first step in faith, would you just be willing to raise your hand like, hey, I, I think that describes me right there. Anybody be willing to be faithful to that?
Father God, you are good. God, we are imperfect people following a perfect Savior. God, I thank you for loving us despite that. God, we get so caught up on, on the outcomes of our life or the circumstances of our life that we just neglect what we do have control of. Now, God, I feel like you've given us Ecclesiastes to open our hearts and our minds to that, that, that we're not in control of our lives or our situations, but we are in control of our attitude, we're in control of our effort, and the faith in you we place. So God, I, I, I thank you for those who raise their hand. God, I pray you just stir in their heart and help them take the first step today in faith. Whether it be by changing something up in their life, whether it be by putting faith in you, whatever it is, God, I pray that they'd be faithful to that. God, help us to be a church that maximizes every opportunity you put in front of us. God, I love you and praise you. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.